If you've lost your vision, your energy, or your mojo, then this show is for you. Whether it's your health, career, relationships, it's time to reclaim and discover your best life yet. Award-winning journalist and TV host, Gail Guayardo, will touch, move, and inspire you in this entertaining, fast-paced, and informative podcast as Gail has helped thousands of people achieve massive, life-changing transformations. Here's your host, Gail Guayardo. trend that's helping people get a better night's sleep and it doesn't involve over-the-counter sleep medications or pharmaceuticals with dangerous side effects. Today on Your Story, Your Health, Your Best Life, we're exploring the growing trend of cognitive behavior therapy for sleep and talking to a leader in this field, Tampa's Dr. Daniel Bond, a licensed psychologist and fellow podcaster. Welcome to Bloom, Dr. Bond. It's great to talk to you. Thank you so much, Gail. I'm excited to be here with you guys, especially to join you on the podcast. So thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this is great. Dr. Bond uh, is a regular contributor to Bloom, which is a nationally syndicated show that I host in the Tampa Bay area. And, you know, I I heard about this. Um, I I didn't even realize it existed, but we do segments with uh, the Today Show's Joy Bauer, and they're based out of New York, obviously. And we were just chit-chatting before Zoom started, and she was telling me how her husband turned to cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia. And until we had this kind of just off-the-cuff chat, I didn't even realize that was a thing, Dr. Vaughn. Yeah, absolutely. It's been around for a little while, but I would say it's definitely coming. There's a lot more interest in sleep these days because I think like, you know, all of us, we want just better rest. And really CBTI is kind of now the gold standard actually for first line intervention for people who are living with sleep problems that usually have lasted for longer than I would say three to six months or so. If they're beyond that period of time, it's really kind of a chronic sleep problem. And CBTI is a great intervention for that. Now, how exactly does cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia work? Great question. Um, So how CBTI works, it's really a combination of a few different things. So number one, what it's really kind of looking at is how it's looking at how your body is responding to poor sleep. And what I mean by that is that for a lot of us, you know, sleep is something that kind of happens outside of our conscious awareness. And what I mean by that is, you know, we don't really think about you know, what do I have to do tonight to get a good night's rest? You know, for the most of most part, sleep happens automatically. So we don't have to kind of put a lot of effort into it unless you're one of the, uh, one of the people like myself actually who has sleep difficulties. And then before you know it, you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm not getting good sleep at all. And so what CBTI does is that it helps you to look at your actions. So how do we respond to kind of poor sleep? It also helps you take a closer look at what our minds are doing, because for a lot of us, you know, Um, and myself included, right? I can stay, you know, lay in my bed and stare at my ceiling and kind of be wondering like, oh my gosh, is tonight going to be the night? Can I get a good rest tonight? Or is my day tomorrow going to be ruined? Do I have to cancel an activity or do I need to back out of something or reschedule it? And so really what it is you're doing too, is you're taking a, a really solid look at what our minds are doing. And you're really teaching your mind how to actually relax itself, because that's a really big challenge for a lot of us, especially if you're one of those kind of, you know, type A individuals who has a lot of things on your plate, you have a lot of things to kind of think about. It's pretty hard to just kind of, you know, lay down and turn our mind off. Um, And then the the last kind of key piece of how CBTI works is you're really taking a, a solid look at 
um, at how our environment plays a huge role in whether we get good sleep or not. Because for a lot of us, we can learn to associate our bed and our bedroom with things other than sleep. And so CBTI helps you to change that association so that you can actually get back to the business of falling asleep in bed. So um, in my next question is kind of twofold. One in that I, I, I believe that this is becoming the gold standard, but there's not a lot of experts like yourself, at least not in the immediate area here in the Tampa Bay region. You know, how did you get into this niche, this specific field? Um, and then I guess the second part of that question is, I'm glad that it's growing because I feel like I'm with the millions and millions of Americans that try over-the-counter sleep remedies, natural mm -hmm. sleep remedies, and even prescription sleep uh, remedies to no avail. And right. I, I, I'm starting to think that it is all the things that you describe where my mind is racing and I'm a rat on a wheel and I'm constantly getting up in the middle of the night trying to balance everything I have to do in a 24-hour period and I'm not carving enough time out for sleep always. Mm -hmm. You got it. So uh, both, again, uh, wonderful questions to kind of to respond to. So the first one, how did I get into it? Um, so my exposure to to insomnia and really to sleep later research started for me back in graduate school, where um, we worked with um, one of my mentors actually was really um, did a lot of research in sleep and the psychology of sleep. And so that's really where I kind of got exposed to it. Um, and then for me personally, though, it didn't really become a personal kind of lived experience for me, actually, until my daughter was born. Um, and then as, as I think all new parents, you know, you kind of go through these periods of time where you're like, oh, my gosh, like, how do I how do I get good sleep when when, you know, my, my newborn is, is not sleeping very well? And so that's really it was a combination of those two things before it really kind of hit home for me of how crucial good sleep is and also how hard it is to get good sleep, especially as we age and go through life. You know, your sleep quality when you're in your, you know, your 20s or 30s is much different than later in life. Um, and so that's really where I kind of got interested in this whole area of like, okay, what can we do to help you, number one, get a good night's rest? And then number two, how can we essentially start to work a little bit smarter with how we approach our sleep than, than really harder, if that makes sense. So makes total sense. So this is a, a completely different approach than taking the pills. So talk to me about... Mm -hmm you know, what you do versus just band-aiding the issue with a pill. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So I think it's helpful for, for that part to start with really what does a pill do? Um, and, and a lot of times what happens with sleep medications is that they're really good at what they're focused on doing, which is really truly to either make you drowsy or to help you to feel more relaxed. And so those are helpful things with what we call sleep initiation or the ability to just fall asleep at, at night. The challenge with some of the medications is that they can wear off. And what that, what I mean by that is you can wake up later in the night and then you're awake at 2 a.m. and you're like, oh my goodness, do I take another pill? Do I not? Um, the other real challenge that the medications don't do is that they don't treat the actual cause of what's causing you to have really fragmented sleep. And so in order to do that, what we have to do is we actually got to know a little bit about your brain and brainwave patterns and really the stages of sleep. So one of the things that is super fascinating that we do a lot of work with, or I do a lot of work with the clients is helping them understand that, you know, you really have these three stages of sleep, which we call N1, N2, and N3, and then you have REM sleep. And what's really fascinating about this stuff is that the ways that we can respond to poor sleep can really interfere with those cycles. And really what you want are a better quality of sleep, not necessarily a better quantity of sleep. And so that's a real eye opener for a lot of my clients of like, 
how do I begin to get better quality of sleep? Um, and a big part of that is definitely addressing the environment, which means, you know, what your bed and your bedroom look like, but also how do you respond to poor sleep? Um, so what we do when we wake up in the middle of the night is really important as well as what we do throughout the day. You know, I, I, I have, uh, no skin in the game. I'm just saying this is something that I was re recommended to me by my doctor and I bought an aura ring and I've become uh -huh. obsessed with how it tracks my sleep. And I, I didn't understand. I thought, oh, if I can just get eight hours of sleep a night, you know, that would just be the golden number. But then now that I look at my sleep data, I realized that I was really not in REM sleep. I was mm -hmm. not in deep sleep. And mm -hmm. those areas are incredibly important. Like how long is it taking me to fall asleep? I'm, all these things that I didn't realize that play into the perfect formula of getting a good night's rest. A hundred percent. I'm glad that you mentioned the aura. So I love gadgets too, right? And there's no shortage of these gadgets that are kind of on the market these days, you know, the Apple watches, the aura rings, these things, I will say aura is actually one of the better ones to give you some better data um, when it comes to sleep. But I would say all of the, the biggest caveat to a lot of the, of the gadget information, especially about sleep is that if it's not really measuring your brainwave activity, you're not really getting a quality kind of estimate of what's happening for sleep. And so why the reason why that's so important is because what we want to do ideally is to help you to get more of these cycles of good quality sleep. Um, and so a big part of what I do with clients too, is to actually help them keep a sleep diary, which doesn't necessarily give us brainwave activity, but it does give us a good, um, a good insight into what your behaviors and your actions are in the middle of the night. Um, and I do have kind of five key tips for today for your listeners, if they are wanting to kind of take the next step to get some better sleep, um, but I would say a lot of these gadgets and apps, wonderful things. Um, but I would say a, a lot of times they can um, they can create more stress and tension than they're worth because then we can you know take a deeper dive and be like, oh my gosh, like my Apple Watch said this for me last night. Maybe I didn't get good rest or my you know other things like that. If that makes sense. Yeah, it, you're right. I, I realize like it's it's what you say. It's just a gadget. Um, but it does kind of make you think about like, did I drink a little too much wine? Didn't I have my <laughs> meal too late? Was I a little active? I mean, it, some of that is interesting, but I, I like that you go into a deep dive um, to help patients get that better night's sleep. And you say you have five tips for our listeners today, and I'm mm -hmm. sure people are going to be incredibly interested to hear what you have to say. Absolutely. So, you know, before I kind of go into those, one of the key parts that I just want to kind of reiterate is how important it is to understand how your bed and your bedroom play a key role and whether we get good sleep. And, you know, a good example of this is just really just natural, just classical conditioning. And so, you know, what really happens for a lot of us over time is we tend to have some sort of tension or stress about maybe going to bed in some way. And we start associating that with our bed or with our wind down routine or with a sleep. And then that really leads to us becoming, you know, alert, right? Because you're like, oh gosh, I hope I can get good sleep tonight. But then all of a sudden we're alert with thinking about that good sleep to where, you know, over time you can even just not even need the tension anymore. Your bed becomes associated with being alert and awake. And so that's why these kind of five key tips are so important. So tip number one, um, is to go to bed only when you're sleepy, not just fatigued or tired. And what I mean by this, this is really for those people that like to go to bed, you know, 9 p.m. or 8 p.m. or 7 p.m. thinking that, gosh, all I need is more time in bed. 
I would actually tell you it's the opposite. So you don't want more time in bed when you're not sleepy. Um, key tip number two, if you're unable to sleep, I want you to get out of bed and return to bed only when you're sleepy. And I would say a good gauge of this is if you haven't fallen asleep within about 15 to 20 minutes, I would say go ahead and, and call it what it is and just get out of bed, go to your living room, your dining room, your kitchen, do some activities. I have some extra ones to suggest for you today too, Gail, if you're interested. Um, but just go do some things that are, you know, you're tired but not sleepy activities and then go back to bed when you're sleepy. And then number three uh, is to use the bed in the bedroom just for sleep and sex. Um, so, and what I mean by this is no TV watching in bed, no, you know, scrolling on the internet with your phone or your tablet in bed, um, no reading in bed. This one is a huge one. Um, so I, even though I know I have a lot of clients that love to read um, when they're falling asleep, maybe it's the New York Times or maybe it's something else. And I would say really what we're trying to teach our minds to do at the end of the day is not to read, not to consume information, you're trying to really tell your mind, you know what? It's time to go to bed. There's nothing else interesting to learn today. There's no other things like that. You're telling your mind it's time to fall asleep. And then key tip number four, and this one I know is a challenge for a lot of people, but it's super important, is to wake up at the same time every day, regardless of how much sleep you got. And I want you to get out of bed within about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and I know this one is a real challenge because, right, for a lot of us, especially if we've had a horrible night, we just want to sleep in or catch some extra sleep in the morning. And what I can tell you is when you sleep in in the morning, you actually are stealing sleep that you would get the night in front of you than you are in terms of recouping sleep that you didn't get the night prior. So if you sleep in this morning, you're actually stealing sleep that you're going to get tonight, which, you know, once, once I explain it to clients like that, they're like, oh my gosh, like, absolutely. Like, I don't want to steal. My sleep is already, you know, precious and little. I don't want to steal it um, from my night in front of me. And then key tip number five is do not nap. So, and if you absolutely had to take a nap during the daytime, limit it to no more than 20, maybe 25 minutes, but you definitely want to try your hardest to not take a nap during the day. So those are the kind of my five key tips to start today to hopefully get you some better sleep. Uh, those are all really good ones. I think the hardest for me actually would be number three because it's yes. so hard <laughs> to not watch a little Netflix before I nod off. Um, mm -hmm. You know, kind of I'm even worse than that. I get on my Spanish app and I start getting my heart race going. <laughs> Yes, right. <laughs> like, you realize how you have all of these horrible sleep habits that um or, or horrible habits that lead uh into your night's rest that are probably working against you considerably. And I think that's you know, when you talk to people that turn to an expert like yourself, I think that that's there's some kind of accountability because I can preach these things all day long on bloom. And then I don't always find mm -hmm. myself even um, listening to them, but something about working together with a doctor like you, does, do people just seem more accountable when they're with you? Because like, it's like almost like having a doctor slash sleep coach where mm -hmm. somebody has to come to you and say, yeah, I, I made this mistake or that mistake. It's almost like you have someone to answer to that's like an authority. Do you think that's mm -hmm. what makes your profession so successful and this trend so successful? You know, this is a great question. And I, and I think it is a key part of it, you know, accountability, knowing that you're like, you know what, I'm gonna have to tell somebody if I, you know, stayed up 
and binge watch, you know, three seasons of Netflix or something like that before walk, you know, falling asleep, which I'm guilty of too, right? So, you know, I think the, the important thing to remember is that all of us have difficulties with sleep at various times in our life. In fact, you know, the statistics on how many of us are going to experience an episode of insomnia are pretty significant. You know, all of us will experience sleep disruption at some point in our life. So the key part that you're really learning how to do is how to really start surfing those waves of sleep disruption when they do show up for you. And you're trying to keep them from becoming, you know, a disruptive sleep event for you rather than just a bump on the road for you. And definitely touching base with myself um, and doing some sleep coaching, as well as really maybe working through some of the other causes that might be leading to some of that anxiety that can show up in the middle of the night. That's really where the value of working with a professional kind of comes into play. So Now, do you work with... Um shift workers because that was I mean for years I mean my mm -hmm. entire adult life since my um, early 20s uh, well into my 50s I was waking up at one two in the morning um, probably had the worst sleep habits and I was constantly napping and I was drinking lots of caffeine to stay up and taking you know, over-the-counter sleep medications to fall asleep. It was just such a vicious cycle that when I finally, in the last um, few years of my life, have a normal schedule, it became near impossible. It took me years to get on a healthy sleep track. And I just wonder about those uh, poor folks out there listening, because I can completely identify with what they're going through. Absolutely. I I can tell you, so I do work with a lot of uh, shift workers um, and clients of mine usually in this area are more of the healthcare related kind of piece. So I have a lot of physicians that usually maybe take the overnight shift or nurses. And absolutely, I would tell you shift work. So number one, my heart goes out to you. It's rough stuff. Like it is when you, and you mentioned this too, you know, Gail, when we were talking earlier, you don't feel like yourself because you're just not getting, you know, quality sleep at night. And so I would say there's a few different, I have a couple different tips on how to handle shift work. It just depends on the type of shift work that you're doing. So if it's a fixed, you know, shift work versus rotating shift work, I would tell you that fixed shift work, meaning you're doing, you're trying to stick with the same schedule each day, even though, you know, you might be waking up, you know, one o'clock in the morning and then going to bed, at, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, that's much better than a rotating shift work. But if you have to do shift work, um, I would say there are a few key things that you can do. So, you know, number one, try as hard as you can to maintain a consistent schedule, even on your days off. So I know it's really, you know, tempting sometimes to say, okay, on my day off, I'm going to try and go back to a regular shift, or maybe I have a weekend, I'm going to try and match my sleep-wake cycle. But I would actually encourage you to try not to, try and stick with that shift work, um, that shift same schedule. Um, the second thing is if you set, you know, set a nighttime period or a sleep period for yourself as quickly as you can after your shift ends so that you can just kind of say, okay, this is my bedtime. I'm going to sleep. And if you do have to schedule some naps, schedule them, you know, up to 90 minutes before you start your shift so that you can kind of get that release initially of just having some good rest right before, you know, the shift work would start for you. The other, you know, important thing is just to really recognize that caffeine is great. However, your tolerance to it really develops after about three to five days. So you really do want to limit your caffeine intake to really when you need it the most. So what I mean by that is, you know, I, I have some clients who are like, gosh, my life runs on coffee. And I totally, I totally can feel you on that. Um, but I would try your hardest to maybe keep the caffeine to when you really need it. Um, and then number five is to definitely try your hardest to seek bright light during your shift and then reduce your exposure to light whenever your shift is ending. 
So, you know, I think Gail, you and I talked a little bit about, you know, for you, you'd be waking up early in the morning. That's really when you want to have yourself seeing bright light. And then, you know, even at the end of your day, maybe wearing a hat and sunglasses on your ride home to try and reduce your exposure to sunlight so that you're, you can, you're essentially, you're cueing your body. You're telling your body, yep, this is my nighttime, even though the sun is still bright outside. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. Total sense, Dr. Vaughn. And I, I want to thank you not only for joining me today um, for this podcast, but for being and becoming a regular contributor on our uh, Bloom syndicated show here out of Tampa, Florida. You're a gift to the Tampa Bay area. And if folks are listening locally, because we try to drive people from our show to this podcast, our Bloom bonus mm -hmm. podcast, um, this is your guy. I mean, when it comes to sleep and good advice and getting that good night's rest, this could be the secret you've been looking for all along. So thank you so much, Dr. Vaughn. You're welcome, Gail. Thanks so much for having me. And then if any of your listeners are interested in more sleep tips, um, I do do a sleep podcast. Um, and they can find us at, at Sleep Takeout um, is the name of the podcast. Um, and then you can find me also too at, at Daniel Vaughn PhD. So on any of the social channels. So All right. Thanks, Dr. Vaughn. Thanks, Gail, so much. All right. Take care. That's it for today's episode of Your Story, Your Health, Your Best Life with Gail Guardo. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a $25,000 value VIP day with Gail herself. Be sure to head on over to your story, your health, your best life podcast.com and pick up a free copy of Gail's gift and join us on the next episode. <laughs>